I wonder how many of you would say, this morning, all is well. Could you not come up with something that's not quite the way you want it to be? I know in Jackson, Tennessee, the people there can always tell you something that's not quite well, right? Now, I know here in Goodlettsville, you all got it all together, right? Is that a yes or a no? How loud of a no is it? It's a big no, isn't it? Because there's always something in our lives that tickle us a little bit and create issues with us. What I want to talk with you about this morning is hope. You know, it's a great biblical word. Matter of fact, it's a part of the big three, we call it, faith, hope, and love. And yet, in my perspective on life, we sometimes, as Baptists, I'm sure other denominations don't do this, but sometimes we as Baptists, and if you're a guest here this morning, you're not a part of that group, you may not be here, we sometimes feel more hopeless than we do hopeful. We have more of a negative perspective on the future than a positive perspective. Because there's built into us this thing that we don't know what's going to happen and therefore we're concerned for the future. The Bible is a book of hope. As a matter of fact, if you read it from cover to cover and you said, the only thing I'm going to look for is the hope that's in the Bible, you would find it Genesis through Revelation. There are no parts of the Bible that declare things are hopeless. Every part of the Bible declares there is great hope. So if you ever feel hopeless, know that you're not taking the biblical route. You're taking the atheistic route, the non-biblical route. And we as Baptists want to be biblical, right? Some of you are not sure when you get there, right? Say, well, when it applies to my daily life, that's different. Let me give you a definition of hope. It won't be up on the screen, but let me give you a definition. Hope is the belief in a positive outcome related to events and circumstances in my life. In other words, when I have a circumstance in my life, whatever it is, there is going to be a positive outcome. I just have to say, Lord, where is the positive in this? It is the feeling that what is wanted can be had and events will turn out for the best. In other words, the events in my life will bring glory to God and will strengthen me in my faith. Now, you apply that to the Christian perspective. We have our hope in Jesus Christ. Will Jesus ever 
cause us to lose hope. No response. Let me ask it again. Will Jesus ever cause us to lose hope? Absolutely. Lyle asked that I might make some comments and focus the sermon a bit from the hope we found in my wife's cancer. For 22 months, well, let me just back up. In November of 06, on the Thursday before I was to lead the Tennessee Baptist Convention as its president, the doctor said, you have cancer. It will shorten your life. It is serious. From that day until the day she died on September 25th of this year, we never received one single word of medical encouragement. Every doctor said there's no hope. We went to MD Anderson. And finally, last January, I may have mentioned this before, when we were at MD Anderson, one of the world-renowned doctors in cancer like she had said, you only have weeks to live. And I said, wait a minute. Anniversary, for we are 52nd anniversary will be... February 4th. And her birthday will be March 17. And he said, I believe she will make the anniversary, but I don't think she will make the birthday. We lived at death's door for 22 months. Some of you have experienced that. But let me say, my wife, never allowed a discouraging day in those 22 months. Because she believed, deep in her heart, that discouragement comes from Satan himself. And encouragement, the good news, comes from Jesus himself. So she gave her cancer to the Lord and never even with all of the discouragement we had medically, she refused to be discouraged. That helped me because I got discouraged. I wanted to quit. I didn't want to leave the Tennessee Baptist Convention. I didn't want to preach because my wife and I had the perfect marriage. And I'm saying that as perfect as humanly you can have. For 52 years, God blessed us and blessed us and blessed us and blessed us in every imaginable way. And I won't get into all of that, but we had had such a positive life together. And now, she would be taken from life scene. In that process, we studied God's Word intently. 
and intentionally. We read, read the Gospel of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. We studied all of the Psalms, especially the Psalms of Ascent, which I'm dealing with this morning, one of those. And some of you ladies are in Beth Moore's study. The last study we did together, as a matter of fact, was Beth Moore's study on the Psalms of Ascent. And those are choruses that Jesus sang on the way to church. You know, choruses are dominant in the Old Testament. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but they're not a 21st century creation. The basis of the Psalms are songs that people sing. And many of them are choruses. And all the Psalms of Ascent were songs that Jesus had memorized, as our little ones memorized, Jesus loves me. And they would sing them as they came from Nazareth down to Jerusalem. They would sing these choruses. And they all had a theme. And Psalms 131's theme was hope. Because you see, as you come to worship, you come with the hope that's in Jesus Christ. If you didn't come that way before you leave, I hope you have that hope that's in Jesus Christ. So this morning, as I think about these events I've been through, how in the world can you have hope when things are hopeless? For some of you, you have physical conditions that are hopeless. For others of you, you have financial circumstances that from your perspective, they are hopeless. For some of you, you have relationships you're in. That you say, you know what? My relationship with my child, my relationship with my mate, my relationship with my neighbor is hopeless. All of us have in our lives, right now, some area of our lives that has hopelessness built in. And I ask you to examine that area of your life this morning and see how you can bring hopelessness to hopefulness. How you can find hope in the midst of what appears from a human perspective to be hopeless. Because the church's message to you is this. There is hope. No matter what the situation is, there is hope. No matter what... You're, live, you're dealing with, there is hope. For our hope is eternal in Jesus Christ. Now I want us to read this psalm. I want to read it in two translations. I think we've put them up there. And ask the question, am I a person that is hopeless or am I a person that's hopeful? Do I see the fact that my glass is half full and it's going to fill up and overflow? Or do I see the glass half empty and it's on the way down to nothing? The Christian perspective is always, my glass is filling up 
because I have my hope in Jesus Christ. This psalm is written as a chorus. And I wish somebody like Cliff, who has musical talent, you do have a little, don't you, Cliff? Have no talent at all, so we scrap that, would write these songs, these songs of ascent, so that we could sing them again. But they're written in Hebrew, and he probably hasn't freshened up on his Hebrew lately, so he might not be able to do it, you know, quite well. But I love these choruses. I love choruses. Let me say this. I love to sing them. And this is a chorus, but we're going to read it. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, and you could say, O Christian, hope in the Lord. For this time, that means for right now, and for how long? Forever. Now, I want to read it in the message. Translation. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled with where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart like a baby content. In its mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. Wait, Christian, for God. Wait with hope. Let's say that last together. Hope now, hope always. Lord, I ask thy blessings on these moments with this wonderful congregation of gathered believers and gathered in choirs. Lord, we know from an earthly perspective, we're forever losing hope. We're getting discouraged. We're being defeated. We're feeling downhearted. We're becoming depressed and discouraged. But Lord, when we look at Your eternal truths found in Your Son, Jesus the Christ, we have great hope. It radiates from Your Word. It radiates through Your Son, Jesus. It radiates through the Spirit that lives within every believer. And might this morning, in this Christmas season, might we not be a people that are discouraged and defeated, but might we show victory through the hope we have in Your Son, Jesus. I would pray, even if there's just one here this morning who is struggling with hope. They have lost a job. They've lost a mate. They've had discouraging news about their health or their wealth. 
their lives seems broken, might today your word speak to their world. For we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Spurgeon calls Psalms 131 one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. One of the shortest psalms, it's just three verses. Every child in Jesus' day had it memorized, and they sang it. It's easy. You could memorize it. But it is long when it comes to learning it. It is a day-to-day, event-by-event, to say, you know what? How do I put hope into this situation? How do I allow God in His marvelous grace to work through my situation for His glory and for my good? When we face trials, we know that divine help is always available. Amen? Do you ever find a circumstance where divine help is not available? Let's say it out loud. No. But let me ask you this. Do you avoid divine help trying to handle it yourself? That yes should be louder than that no, because that's the way it is, right? Let's say that together. Yes, we do. The reality is this. We are prone to tell God not to bother. We'll take care of our own problems in our own ways. We'll handle it. I have five preschoolers. Well, a kindergartner now. And then I have triplets that are just turned three. And then i got a boy back there in the nursery that most of you got to know by now because everybody knows Luke. And I'm going to tell you what, it's amazing what they want to do themselves. Amen? That they couldn't do possibly if they had to, right? I'm telling you, they think they can do it themselves. But you know what? We're just grown-up three-year-olds. We think the same thing with just different issues. We think we can handle it. We got it. This psalm is a progressive psalm. It's a progressive song. It begins with a commitment on my part, and it moves to a simplicity in my life, and then it has an air of thanksgiving, and it ends in hope. Those four words I want us to look at this morning. You may have a notepad. You can write them down, because that's what that's where this is. This is a formula for hope. That's what it is. First of all, if you're going to be a hopeful person, you must be a humble person. You must humble yourself before the Lord. The psalmist, probably David, said, My heart is not hearty, and I am not high-minded. In other words... I don't have an inflated sense of self-importance. I don't have to be pampered. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be served. 
In other words, I am a servant. I humbly come before the Lord in service. So many people have to be pampered. You know why a person has to be pampered? Because they're full of pride. You know why so many people have to be right? Because they're so prideful, they don't ever want to think my way is not the right way. They're afraid to release in. And some people just have to be served. If they're not being served, they're not happy. That's a proud person. But a humble person recognizes that my strengths, my abilities, come straight from God. Not pretending we don't have gifts, for that's ungodly. Because God's Word declares we do have gifts, and we do have abilities, and we know we have them, but we're simply making a truthful and modest evaluation or estimate of ourselves, and we're saying, I give everything God has given me, and I humbly commit what He has given me to Him for His glory and my good. That's a humble person. That doesn't mean they do anything. They don't do anything. That's not humility. Humility is I take what God has given me and I'm committed to maximizing the use of what God has given me to the point that I always see something He can use that I have that I use in His service. Let me give you an example. When I began my ministry following seminary, I went to a church called Kearney, Missouri. First Baptist Church, Kearney, Missouri. I came there in June, June of 1970. I've actually pastored three churches out of seminary, and it was the first. When I got there, it was the week before vacation. I preached on Sunday and vacation Bible school started on Monday. And then we had two weeks of Bible school. Now we only have one or whatever. But in that week, two weeks, I tried to meet the people that led the Bible school. The first place I wanted to go to was where they served refreshments, you know. Then we had cookies and what? Kool-Aid. You got it. Boy, I tell you what, y'all are a good bunch. Y'all are a good bunch of Baptists. In there, I met Mrs. Kelly. Now, Mrs. Kelly, I was told, was the wealthiest woman in town. She had resources that no one else knew of. Her husband, who had just died a year or so earlier, had been the president of the bank, And also he had been involved in the caterpillar business and his sons now ran the caterpillar business basically around the whole United States but primarily focused out of Florida. But she was a simple lady. She had a great love for the Lord and she was humbly serving, serving cookies and Kool-Aid. Now that's my kind of person. Not her wealth, but her willingness to serve. A few weeks after I was there, 
Miss Kelly had a stroke. And the entire seven years I was there as her pastor, she was never able to attend church again. She had a woman that lived with her and cared for her needs 100%. But every Sunday morning, she thought, what can I do as a servant of my church? And she decided early on, after she went through the drama of the immediate problems with that stroke, she was able to talk and to listen and things. She would turn all of her, she would turn her radio off, turn her television off, and during the worship service of Carney Baptist Church, she would pray for me as her pastor and her church as they were gathered in worship. And she did that for seven years. I said of Mrs. Kelly, she made a greater contribution to that church than anyone that came because she prayed and she was a prayer warrior. I say to you, no matter what your circumstances are, the Lord wants you to serve in that capacity, in that circumstance in that situation. And I ask you, if you're going to be a person of hope, are you willing to be a servant, humbly serving the Lord in whatever's going on with you? Let's say there's got to be one in here that's having a massive financial problem. You may have lost your job. Well, you can be discouraged and defeated in that, but you can say, okay, Lord, Now that I'm unemployed and I don't have funds to do what I really think I want to do, what is it that you want me to do in your service in this era of my life, in this moment in my life? Or you may be one that's been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Lord, how do you want me to serve you in the midst of my cancer? What I'm saying is, you will never be a person of hope unless you humbly serve the Lord in the circumstance you're in. Number two, simplicity. David simply says, I don't exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. In other words, I don't have to figure everything out. Do you try to figure everything out? Hello? Come on. Do you try to figure everything out? That's a yes or a no. That's a yes. I do too. I'm a fixer. I think I can fix anything. I look at this church and I think, oh my goodness, this church is going to run run 1,500 to 2,000 in about 10 years. How in the world are we going to make that happen? I've driven your community, and I see all of these people living out here, and I think, oh, my goodness, how is this church going to manage when it has to have three services and three Sunday schools because of the growth that's going to take place in this place? Some of you don't even believe that. Whoa. I've driven your community, folks. I've looked at your facilities. You could triple without building a building. You have phenomenal facilities. You have wonderful leadership. All you need to do is to catch the vision 
that God has for you. I told someone this morning, he said there wasn't anybody in the baby nursery. I said, you know how we got people in the baby nursery at Inglewood? We started having parents' nights out free of charge. You just bring your babies to our church and we'll keep them free of charge while you go shopping through Christmas. Well, you know what? They were glad we did that. So much so that they started coming to our church on Sunday morning. Now, that's crazy, isn't it? You know why? Because it cost us money to do that. It messed up our facilities to do that. We had every imaginable baby you could imagine. And we had a hard time, but we hired, we hired the college students who wanted money. College students are always broke. If they're not, they'll make you think they're broke. And we had union there by us. So we hired the college students. We'd hire 20 college students to take care of all the babies. Well, you'd be surprised how you can go about getting people in your church. Now, maybe you don't want people in your church that's not in your church. I don't know. Maybe you don't. Do you or don't you? You do? You want the people to be here? Then just do it simply. The point is this. There's many things... You won't understand. But let me tell you one thing you do understand. The Bible is all about a church growing. You know there's not a word in the Bible about a church declining or plateauing. You read the message of Jesus about the church, and the church is to grow. The only reason why a church doesn't grow, you know there's only one reason why a church doesn't grow? is because the church puts barriers in the way of growth. That's the only reason why you don't grow. You know why you don't grow in the Lord? You put barriers in the way of spiritual growth in your personal life. Because we're not intended to be babies all of our spiritual lives. We're attending. The Lord calls us to mature. But let me have to say this. There's a lot of things you won't understand. I will never understand why my wife got cancer. If you know the answer, then I need to see you because you now are God. The most difficult things in life, in your life, you will never, ever understand. My dad died when I was 19 years old. Broke my heart. My dad was my very closest friend. I'm talking about to... I didn't have a teenage rebellion situation... My dad was my very closest friend. I could ask him anything about anything, and he was the only person that would give me a straight-up answer. And he died. Died of a heart attack. It's like that. I want you to know I lost hope. I staggered. Some of you may never have been there. I mean, I, I was just, I mean, I was under the pew. Because I wanted to know one thing. And I asked my pastor, I want to know why my dad had to die. There was a, a guy that I thought the world of, but he was an alcoholic, lived across the road from us. We lived out in the country. And I would think about guys that shoot. They weren't godly guys. They didn't even go to church. They didn't have any walk with the Lord. They didn't have any reason to live. Why did God take my dad? And then when my wife, Marilyn's mom, got terminal cancer, and the 
world-renowned doctors said, there's nothing we can do. It is untreatable. We're going to experiment with some things, but never has a cancer patient with this cancer ever lived beyond 18 months to two years. I'd grown up a little bit, but not enough to want to know why. But you know what? According to this song, we've got to keep things simple. And the big things in life, we will never know why. Amen? And if you've got to know why, you will never live a life of hope. Because you'll spend all of your time and all of your energy and all of the everything talking about, well, now, you know, if I just understood why my kid did what he did, my mate did what they did, my boss did what they did, my church did what it did, my doctor did what they did, you will lose hope because you see the picture here of a person that lives a simple life? They're like what? What does it say? They're like a weaned child. Where? Come on, where? In their mother's arms. When you're three-year-old, that's when they weaned them in the time this was written. When your three-year-old feels hopeless, feels fear, what do they do? What do they do? Come on, what do they do? They run to their mother's arms. What it's saying here is this. Live simple. When you don't know what to do, jump into God's arms. He'll take care of you. He is your protector. He is your comforter. He is the one that you can say, you know what? I just got to get a hold of you, Lord, and just you just got to hug me. Because I don't know why. That's simplicity. Thirdly. Well, I got some more stuff. Yeah, thirdly. Thanksgiving. Now, you see the progression here. We start with what? What's the first word? What's the second word? Now, what's the third word? You'll never be a thankful person unless you're a humble person who live a simple life. When you humble yourself before the Lord and you leave the big issues to the Lord... Behold, I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned from his mother. My soul is content in the Lord. The idea is this. Proud people. Pride kills thanksgiving. And proud people are seldom grateful. Because they don't think they're getting as much as they deserve. You know, I never get as much as I really deserve. In other words, the world owes me something. My mate owes me something. My kids owe me something. My boss owes me something. And I don't know why they don't deliver. As a pastor, sometimes a pastor thinks, you know, the congregation owes me something. If you live that way, you'll never be thankful. When I went to this Carney church, 
It had just had a split. Y'all don't know anything about that, but churches do split. They'd had to run off the pastor. And some didn't like the fact they'd run him off. And others liked the fact that they did run him off. And that caused for confusion. So I got there. I moved in on Monday. And, you know, Bible school, Wednesday night. I'm a big Wednesday night guy. As a matter of fact, at Inglewood, we almost have as many on Wednesday night. We run about 2,500 on Sunday morning, and we'll run over 2,000 on Wednesday night. I'm just a big Wednesday night guy. And so I'm a big Wednesday night guy, and I go, and I mean I'm prepared. I'm pumped, right? Two people showed up. I'm not kidding you, two people. George and Edna Milligan, the only two that showed up. Well, the others were involved in Bible school. Probably shouldn't have had Wednesday night services that week anyhow, but I didn't know better. But you know what? I was so thankful they came. I can say honestly, I am so thankful they came. Because right there were the most dear friends I ever got to know there in Kearney. They became grandparents to my kids, to my boys. When Susan was born, we were still there. And my oldest son was playing football. He was a senior in high school. And they would, Edna and George would come to our house and take care of a screaming baby. That's the way she was. She was a screaming baby. I just, you know, I just tell you that, you know, I don't mean anything bad by that. And we would go to the football game. That was the kind of people they were. I'm thinking, you know how thankful I was? They were the only ones there. So I got to know them really well. Amen? Now, I wish there would have been a hundred there. You know, man, oh man, oh man. But for the Lord's guidance in my 